0: Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap Podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com, or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel, and please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes.
1: All right, hello everybody. Hello, hello,
0: welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap Podcast with Sam and Dennis. I am not at Project Quantum Leap. I am recording <laughs> from an undisclosed location <laughs> you in are the downtown Chicago. Uh, yeah, I know. That's you were, yeah, it's
1: weird, like, usually, like, we're all laid back, and I'm laid back, I'm just wearing, you know, T-shirts and everything, and uh, or a T-shirt and everything, and you're you're dressed up. I am, yeah, I got the tie on, I've been doing some work today,
0: and uh, I, will, I will be actually headed back over to do some more work at this event that uh, we've got going on tonight, but... As of right now, I'm just uh, hanging out in the office. You're going to have
1: agents bursting in to, to get you any minute, like Keanu Reeves. Yeah, In right, The Matrix. Which, by I the way, know. the last time I viewed that, uh, Keanu Reeves low-key is in Chicago in that movie. Oh, seriously? They don't broadcast it, and it, a lot of it doesn't look like Chicago, but there is sure. there is something early in the movie that tips you off that they are in Chicago. Nice. Yeah, like is that Jessica Jones? That is Jessica Jones freaking out about something. <laughs> Jessica Jones, our our wonderful rescue pup. Yeah, she's freaking out. She may she maybe will be freaking out about me. Uh, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm set up in the bed. <clears throat> well, anyway, you are on a time crunch because you have to go be social here in a couple hours at an event. I do,
0: I do. We do have an event later this evening, so uh let's uh, get the show on the road here. Let's, let's this right week in. we're talking about a nuclear family, which is directed by James Whitmore Junior. Uh this is uh about the I think Oh, 5th or 6th of 15 episodes. Uh, he's directed Jimmy, Leap of Faith. He'll go on to direct Trilogy and, of course, the finale, Mirror Image. It's written by Paul Brown, who would write 13 episodes overall, including Kamikaze Kid, Disco Inferno, Catch a Falling Star. Uh, favorite here at Fate's Wide Wheel, Goodnight Dear Heart. Uh, Runaway, Wrong Stuff, and Temptation Eyes. Uh, our air date is May 15th, 1991. Leap date, October 26th, 1962, and Sam has leapt into Eddie Elroy,
1: and we're in Homestead, Florida. We are. We should let, Let's mention where Sam has been recently. Of course, the last episode, he was in uh, Heart of a Champion in 1955. And let me pull up all of my mini windows here on the computer here. There we go. <laughs> uh, so uh, By the way, I always get this information off Al's Place. Uh, which yeah. they have they haven't updated their website since 1997. But um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I kid. It, it has you know it has that old look. But uh, I'm sure this right, will be right. updated. Uh, but yeah, we're in October 1962. Sam had most recently been in August of 1962 in the comic Two Dweebs and a Little Monster. Uh, and he will pop up next month in November in All Americans uh, uh yes. tv series episodes he had most recently been in october of 1961 on what price gloria so there was a little over a year where yeah uh, how about where, that where sam wasn't around yeah and this is uh we should say uh we are airing this episode on october 26th well, we and are the lead indeed. date is october 26th um I put it in the Facebook group the other night that uh, this is kind of, by way, a little little bit of a Halloween episode. Yeah, there's definitely
0: some, yeah, there's some, some you know, some Halloween-y stuff in it, if you will. Uh, and, you know, it's obviously apropos, we'll, we'll get more into this later, but uh, 52 years to the day that the episode is being released, also 52 years um, on from the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is a huge... Uh, Plot point for this episode and uh, really just, um, you know, part of the overall
1: setting uh, and and, then feel. Absolutely. Should we read the TV Guide description? Go for it, Maestro. This this one is pretty tame, I think. Uh, Sam, Scott Bakula, must prevent a fateful killing when he falls into the brother of a fallout shelter salesman, played by Timothy Carhart, whose family's tensions escalate during the Cuban Missile Crisis.
0: Yeah, I mean, you couldn't get too punny with this one, I don't think. <laughs> I don't know,
1: when he, when he falls into the brother of a fallout shelter? Yeah, that's. That, a, I mean, that's just a bad pun, though. That's not even a good one. That's a bit of a stretch. But what I also like uh, in Matt Dale, he also points out in uh, in other countries, in Germany this was known as consequences of fear. Oh, wow. In France, it was known as the atomic pool. <laughs> And in Italy, that's
0: priceless. Yes.
1: And in Italy, it was simply known as duck and cover. Duck and cover. Well, all right. Yeah. Um, so, what are, you, what, are, what are your initial thoughts on this episode? I have some thoughts. What are your initial? Yeah, thoughts?
0: me as well. Um, so, I, I will say that uh, I, I've mentioned this before, and you know, it, even going back five or six episodes, and we were kind of talking about we felt like the season got into a bit of a rut. Um, and uh, this episode was one that I was very much looking forward to. Uh, I had pretty positive feelings for it, um, you know, all the way from remembering back to my first viewing of it. Um, I've seen it a few times since then. Uh, as with most of the episodes that we're watching, I really haven't seen any of these probably in over 10 years. And uh, as we're doing the rewatch now, I was looking forward to this one. It held up. Um, it... It's it's definitely a higher point, I think, of this season. Um, I know some people aren't necessarily huge fans of it, but uh, I, I just think it's very, very good. I think that the tension is well done. Um, some of the criticisms that I've seen of it, I, I guess I can understand, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But for me, um, I think I was surprised at how much, maybe not some of the specifics, but how much of the episode I really did remember um and and so i was happy that it, it hadn't really diminished uh, over time um as far as being what i thought was a quality
1: episode sure sure so here are my thoughts <laughs> here uh, i'm gonna reveal something about myself here's how much of a quantum leap nerd i am says the co-host of quantum leap podcast yeah right um i have had a recurring dream ever since quantum leap went off the air 25 years ago. And the dream is I discover an episode that I've never seen before. (laughs) And that's it. That's the dream. Uh, I have seen all of the episodes, but sometimes I dream that there was just one that I missed somewhere along the way. Right. Rewatching this episode, I feel like this is as close to a lost episode as it comes for me. Oh, wow. Uh, Because when I was a kid... I didn't think the episode was bad. I just didn't connect with this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the subject matter didn't really hit me. And also it's the episode right before the season three finale, right? Which is iconic for, for obvious reasons that we'll get into in the next episode. So this episode was just kind of uh, not ever on the radar for me. I don't think I've ever watched it whenever I bought the DVD set, uh, DVD sets. Um, I probably don't think I've seen this episode in over twenty years. Oh, nice. Okay. So it, I remembered the broad strokes of the episode, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, there was some individual scenes and individual moments in it. Like overall, we were talking off mic before we started recording. Just uh, the context of the episode and how uh, and how applicable it is to what's going on in the world today. Uh, I, I enjoyed this episode uh, quite a bit in comparison to, to previous episodes that we reviewed. For sure. Yeah, you know, I, I will, um, just
0: to piggyback on a couple of things that you said, I, I, I think that um, it's it, it certainly, I mean, contextually speaking, uh, there, there's a lot to say about this episode In terms of 2018, there's a lot to say about this episode in terms of 1962. The interesting thing is, is I don't know that putting in 1991, there's definitely something to be said, but I feel like it resonates more with the time it's set in and present day than it even did when it aired, Um, and I wonder if maybe that's where some of the disconnect came for you, I don't know, you know, or maybe why it's not held in maybe as high as esteem as I might think it, it deserves, and I'm not trying to say it's like a classic episode, like top ten episode or something, but I mean it's certainly on the higher end of the spectrum for me. Um, I do think that it's it's interesting because um, I lost I lost it I lost the train of thought. that no, it's have all to good. rescue me. It's all good. We oh we
1: we both got dad brain here.
0: I know. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's been. Oh God! It's been a long week. There's, been, know, there's not been a lot of sleep.
1: Oh, oh, oh I hear you. <laughs> but it, it's, yeah, you know, you're right. I hadn't really thought about that. But in the context of 1991, things were pretty pretty posh back then. Uh, you no, know, I will say. I mean, uh, 1991. Uh, that was. Correct me if I'm wrong. That was just a had, few months after the after the first Gulf War. Yeah, Desert
0: Storm. You did have the Desert Storm, and I was thinking about that actually as I was saying that. And I think that you know the biggest difference about Desert Storm for a lot of people was, and 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 I'm just thinking of it again from you know from a ten year old's perspective for the most part. But I remember those days as it was something that we celebrated almost. Just, Do you know what I mean? I, just, it was.
1: Yeah, I was re- like
0: watching it on TV, you know, you almost wanted to reach for a bag of popcorn or something. You know, it was so different from the Second Gulf War and, and the Afghanistan and the Iraqi War. It was so, so, so different. Sure. And but- I don't know that people... Get that. We've measured that war differently in hindsight, of course, but at the time it was fist pumping. It was Whitney Houston at the Super Bowl. It was Lee Greenwood singing, you know, Proud to be American. It was, there were trading cards for God's sake. It was a very, very different conflict. And I think that the overall feeling was, is it never felt threatening in the same way that, say, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis does or the way that our
1: world today does. Yeah. I do remember uh, because Bush had given Hussein the deadline of January 15th Mm. to to get his people out and I remember staying up that night sitting in my room and my dad had the tv playing in the living room staying up late that night as the deadline approaching and being very anxious about it then yeah because we were going to go into war and what did that mean but then it didn't last very long, and then, like you said, like literally, our our school had a party, yeah, the day the day after the conflict ended, and I remember being very relieved. But that yeah. was such like a flash in the pan that by the time May rolled around when this episode aired, uh, and I don't even think even then like I made any kind of connection between the 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 scary thought of war then and then the you know the. the the, the threat of the, the Cuban missile crisis in, in 19, uh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't put that No, together. right.
0: I uh, no, I would, I would totally, I would totally agree with that. Um, you know, I think that something that I took a look at cause I was very curious, um, and it's fascinating to me for many reasons, but you know, the doomsday clock was set at seven minutes to midnight at the time of the Cuban missile crisis, as a result of the Cuban Missile Crisis and the and the fallout, no pen intended, it actually gained five minutes because of the, the strides that Khrushchev and Kennedy made after the crisis, including the partial test ban treaty. So the, the, the doomsday clock went from seven minutes to midnight to 12 minutes to midnight. In 1991, during the Gulf War and after the Gulf War, uh... And because the Soviet Union would dissolve in December, the clock went up to 17 minutes to midnight. Here's where the real kicker comes in, okay. because as we sit here talking right now, the clock is at two minutes. To midnight. I, ju- I
1: just Googled that. Wow.
0: Now, for those that don't know, um, the Doomsday Clock, it represents the likelihood of a man-made global catastrophe. It's been maintained since 1947 by members of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, Science, and Security Board. And basically, it started off to represent the threat of global nuclear war, which the closest we've ever come to the best of our knowledge was indeed the Cuban Missile Crisis. Now, the the doomsday clock does a little bit more than measure that threat. It also takes into account uh, climate change as being potential for global man-made catastrophe. Um... So that obviously has a lot to do with that two minutes to midnight. Um, but it's, it's it's just, I don't know, it's, it's fascinating,
1: again, to kind of contextualize where we were in 1962 to where we are now. Now, yeah. So you were saying, yeah, it looked like in 1971 we were 17 minutes from midnight. In 1995 we were 14 minutes from midnight. And here we are, two minutes to midnight.
0: Yeah, and it's been on a very steady decline um, since about, you know, 1998 or so. We we gained a minute in 2010. Um, a lot of that had to do with the climate change conference, which, you know, pretty much our president decided to wipe his ass with. So <laughs> yeah. it, it, it no longer, you know, no longer exists uh, for us anyway, and being that we're such a huge... Contributor, But, yeah, the fact that we've actually lost, um, you know, as much time as we have, in essence. And let's face it, this is a theoretical thing. It's, sure. it's It's, you know, it's not it's not any real predictor. It's not meant to say that, oh, my God, everybody, we've only got, you know, a little bit of time left. It's more an, an idea of, of some well-informed human beings who say, hey, look, we should be very concerned because the consequences of our current trajectory could be quite grave. Mm-hmm. Which... Again, contextualizing this episode, that was certainly what was happening uh, in Moscow and Washington, D.C., as these events played out over 13 days.
1: Exactly. Um,
0: you know, I, I don't know that we should—we uh, don't need to be too much of a history lesson here. Uh, no, sure, yeah. I think you we kind got to ahead, like,
1: yeah, contextualizing uh, as we do, Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, that's but, that, That's the backdrop of this episode. And what's interesting is, uh, you know, just, just thinking about it now, this is probably the most recent episode, if not one of the first episodes of Quantum Leap, that really it deals with something on a global level. However, I think this episode has the fewest amount of sets and locations than any episode in recent memory.
0: Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting because uh, I don't know where... I read this now, uh, there's that MacGyver Project website where he's been reviewing all of the episodes of Quantum Leap, I guess he got through MacGyver, he decided to go on to Quantum Leap, um, and uh, I think it might have been on his site, um, where he was talking about how the episodes seemed to be low budget, almost, I guess, compared to other episodes in the season, I don't know if I completely agree with that, but it is. it does feel a little bit more bottle episode-ish, if exactly. you will. Yeah. Yeah,
1: um, that, uh yeah. But the thing is, like, that, I mean, uh, you know, like, I watched the episode twice over the last couple of weeks, and only today that it occurred to me, like, oh, yeah, they only have, like, three set pieces in this episode. Right, right, right. And one of them is a bunker. Um, yes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So should we talk about the leap in?
0: Uh, yeah, uh, it, I, I would say, you know, we've had quite a few... A lot of the leap-ins early in the show were played for comedy or some sort of maybe emotional punch. Uh, No pun intended, because a couple of them did indeed end with Sam getting punched. Uh, In this season, we've had quite a few that have been pretty damn scary. Yeah. Including this one and the next one, for that matter. Oh, God, yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: But it's, I mean, it's also interesting because, uh, like, watching the episode, like, trying to put it through... Like how you may have viewed it, how you may view it if you've never seen this episode before. It, I mean, we know that World War Three has never happened in our lifetime, sure. but it's but it's almost interesting to think like, oh, is the show going in a weird way? Are we kind of going into an alternate reality, right? Realm where World War Three is starting, right? Um, uh, but all, I mean, yeah, you, you don't know in the in the first opening moments, you don't know what year we're in. We could very well be in the future.
0: Yeah. No, that's a very, very good point. Uh I the the it does a very good job during the leap in, uh I think of playing with expectations um and making you wonder, you know, where and when we are. Uh, and I, I think being you know, just the very nature of a science fiction show, the very nature of um the I, I don't want to say that they've been taking a lot of risks because they hadn't, but knowing that the season is is you know is getting ready to wrap up, uh, if ever there was a time to do it now would be the time. And obviously they do, especially in shock theater. So I think maybe yeah, like you said, if you'd never seen this show before, if this is the first episode you're watching, or if you hadn't watched in a while, uh, or even if you have been a loyal viewer, you might be a little you know off your caught off your guard. Um, the flip side of that is. You know, Don Belisario's initial target audience of that baby boom generation, I think would have been affected profoundly by this. Yeah. Um, you know, seeing this, because I think so many people would connect with it right away. And you and I, you know, obviously we're not of that generation, but you and I are probably of the, the last generation that that actually did fallout drills.
1: Um I don't think we had fallout drills. Oh, you didn't. I did. But I do think we did have, um, and I meant to post this, like, uh, for my for my hometown friends to answer on Facebook before. I do think we had a bit of a, uh, somewhere un, in, under the, the underbelly of our high school, we did have a fallout shelter somewhere.
0: Yeah. No, I can remember, I can remember being very young, having fallout drills, uh, you know, up until probably, like, first or second grades. So that would have been, like, 86 ish. Okay. Which would make sense because around the time the Berlin wall fell, it was the writing was pretty much on the wall that the Soviet Union was going down and we didn't yeah. really have to worry about it that much anymore. But I can remember early on having to do fallout drills. Uh, I can also remember seeing the um, the signs you know, the signs for fallout shelters that had yeah. like the little...
1: Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, we had one of those up at, at my high school. Uh, even so like when I was in high school, and that was like in yeah. the late 90s the sign was still up. Sure. Um, and
0: I, I think that maybe, you know, depending, I mean, there are probably some of our listeners that are very, very familiar with this stuff. And, 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 you know, there are some that might not be as familiar. And I think for the benefit of those that aren't as familiar, the, you know, the Cold War in particular, uh, there were times when tensions were so high uh, and clearly the highest were, you know, or, well, maybe not clearly, uh, perhaps arguably, but I think it's a pretty easy argument to make uh, to the best of our knowledge without, you know, sifting through top secret arguments. The Cuban Missile Crisis was the most threatening time in in the entirety of the Cold War. That said, Reagan did a lot to provoke the Soviet Union again. And so, throughout the early 80s, tensions were very, very high. It was when terms like, you know, mad, mutually assured destruction were being thrown around with more regularity than I I certainly would have been comfortable with. Uh, You know, the idea that both sides had their finger on the button and whoever pressed it first, it didn't really matter because we were all going to destroy ourselves. Um, And that the, you know, that the threat of literally you know, 30 to 40% of the entire population of the planet would be wiped out in hours. Yeah. Um, that there existed that kind of weaponry, um, that, that would destroy us all so quickly and so easily. And obviously, I mean, this isn't news, still exists, (laughs) um, (laughs) but, uh, at the time, I think it was, you know, you had parades through Red Square with, you know, intercontinental ballistic missiles on display. You had, you know, that that chest thumping taking place on both sides. So um, in 1991, obviously, that stuff had started to slow down a little bit. But this would have been, I think, a good reminder for a lot of a lot of that generation that had grown up with it and that had experienced the Cuban Missile Crisis, I think, would have connected to that opening leap in scene. Sure, um, sure. You know, and I think of my grandfather. My grandfather uh, and my grandmother—they had a fallout shelter in their basement, and it was used for storage. You know, by the time I came around, sure, Um, but it was there. You know, I saw it. I I was—I went in
1: it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't imagine. So yeah, we we have the sleep in, we have the scary moment, and then we come back from the opening credits, and this was just a drill. I am interested. We got a siren going off in that first scene, right? Yes. I'm interested to know where that siren came from, considering that after the fact that this was just uh, was it was this like a community wide drill or were they just running it? Were the Elroys just running this drill? Because I got the impression that's, just the El just the Elroys were running it. That's a really really good question, and I don't know the uh, answer. Yeah, you're not supposed to think about it at the moment, but it's occurred to me like right. yeah, there's definitely a siren, but I think it's just the Elroys running this drill. Yeah, uh, no, that that. <laughs> Yeah, so it's just a real, a cute moment. And it's one of those things like I wish they had more fun with this throughout the series. It would have been a nice, writing oh God, joke yes. along with the old boys, uh, the dog being named Sam, and that initial yeah. confusion throughout the episode. They they play with that a couple times of like you know like the first woman that Sam leaped into Samantha, blah, blah. right? That that could have been a nice thing to play with, uh, and it was, it was it was a nice uh, comedic thing in an episode that that needed a little levity to it.
0: Sure. And, 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 you know, I love too the expression on Sam's face when, you know, <laughs> yeah. cause there's like, there's like this hopeful expression on his face and you just kind of want to be like, what do you, what are you thinking, buddy? Like, this isn't, this the, yeah. isn't what you think it is. <laughs> no, 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 no.
1: Yeah. Or even just the hope of like being able to be called by his own name. Right. That, that's, oh, yeah, yeah, that's very true. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, um... I'm trying to think, too, as far—I mean, because obviously, uh, even now, you know, depending on where you are, you'll hear sirens, you know, from time to time, testing, like, the air raid sirens or the tornado warning systems or early warning systems, that sort of stuff. So it's possible that it was, like, a a neighborhood city-slash-wide thing, but it also obviously could just have been Mac Elroy's, you know— (laughs) a <laughs> uh, <laughs> little little record
1: player, or yeah, who knows, or who something. Knows? Yeah. So basically, I mean to so to to do a quick synopsis of this episode. So Sam, what's his name again in this episode? Eddie Elroy. Eddie, yeah. So Eddie, uh, he had lost his sports scholarship. I believe his football scholarship. Uh, yes he had injured himself yeah, he and so, injured
0: himself mm-hmm. yeah
1: so now he's kind of like moved back in with his brother to kind of like regroup to figure out what the next step is and in the meantime he help he is helping his brother sell fallout shelters which are all the rage right now because we are in the midst of the Cuban Missile Crisis yes. and, and it, at
0: this point we're like ten days in it's worth noting so like it's you know this is like day eleven when Sam leaps in so tensions were Pretty damn high by that point.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm trying. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so the the next night, their neighbor burt the Turtle Rosencrantz, uh, he is going to get shot trying to get into the shelter. He's going to get shot. And he's going to get killed. And then Mac, the brother, is gonna is gonna go to jail for murder. Yeah. So so that is what Sam is there to prevent. So we have Mac, and we have their children, uh, Stevie and Kimberly, and wife Kate. Um, and and so while he is home to regroup, uh, Mac is pressuring uh, Eddie to get in on the family business and sell some bomb shelters.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the birth the turtle thing uh, is actually a reference to the black and white short film Duck yep. and Cover. From 1952, which um, Bert the Turtle was, you know, the the sort of the mascot for duck and cover. Which, um, let's face it, we now know is the most useless possible tactic ever. Which would have been a good way to, you know the last thing you see before you die to be the grass Um, (laughs) so uh, um, completely useless in in the instance of a a nuclear attack Um, and Bert uh, the neighbor apparently you know they thought looked enough
1: like Bert the turtle which I can kind of see it actually yeah. Um uh, yeah, this is a good time. This is a nice segue to go into our IMDb segment and, and I talk completely about the cast agree. Here. Yeah. Uh
0: so Bert is played by Kurt Fuller, um who is very recognizable um you know, most You've recently. Him. Yeah. Yeah, most recently uh Law & Order SVU, Shooter, The Good Wife, uh one of my favorite roles of his uh is as the uh, coroner on Psych. Um, he was just oh, fantastic okay. in that. Another one of my favorite roles of his actually most recently was on uh, Parenthood. Uh, he plays um, Christina's doctor when she has breast cancer. Oh, God. Yeah, fantastic. that's right. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Just a fantastic role for him. Um, Scandal, Supernatural, Desperate Housewives, Boston Legal,
1: Alias uh, and Ghostbusters too yes he was also, <laughs> amongst many many others uh, many others yeah uh betsy's fa- one of her favorite movies midnight in paris which is also a, a time travel oh, movie yeah. oh, uh he absolutely. is uh he is the dad of rachel adams nice, in that nice. Movie. Yeah, that's a great movie i really like that movie a lot i do yes i don't know if i've stayed away through the entire thing ever but i do enjoy that <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I enjoy it i enjoy it in pieces
0: um, and then uh, the other the other one that I singled out here would be, of course, uh, Timothy Carhart as Mac, another fairly recognizable actor, uh, currently on the show Yellowstone, which I don't know anything about. Um, guest spots on Mad Men, CSI, 24, X-Files. He gets our Star Trek shout-out of the episode. He played Lieutenant Hobson in Redemption um, from Star Trek The Next Generation. His character oh, yeah. ends up being second-in-command on a ship that Data ends up Uh, being the commanding officer on, and they have uh, quite a hostile, combative relationship, as much as Data
1: can be combative, until he earns Hobson's respect. Yeah, I just watched that one a few weeks ago, as a matter of fact, and I didn't recall that that that's the same actor, but yeah, that definitely is. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but also a lot of other stuff. Uh 30 something was another
0: thing I noted, but he he's got quite the uh, resume as well. Um the the kids and the mom not quite as much really. Um they uh didn't yeah, just didn't have uh, you know the, the 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 daughter uh was the voice of uh Sarah in the Land Before Time movies. Um. The the boy. Uh. He's he's done some stuff here and there. You know, uh, up until even I think the past ten years or so. So he's been active. Is, is clearly like you know out in Hollywood and whatnot. Um. The mom though. I I, I her resume pretty much bottoms out at around ninety, something like early nineties, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, the other person of course worth mentioning here is uh, Delia Salvi who plays mrs. Klingman mm-hmm. uh, in one of the best scenes of the episode um, when Sam tries to sell her the fallout shelter and um, you know he tells her not to worry about it and she kind of has a little bit of a breakdown and he sees the tattoo on her arm of course she's a Holocaust survivor um, and she you know, very poignantly tells Sam that that's what she heard you know, 30 years ago was don't worry about it, you know, they're not coming for you, you don't have anything to worry about, and then, you know, dock out.
1: um, That is a scene, like, when I talk about, like, how this was a lost episode, like, I I have no memory of that scene before. And, like, when that scene came along on this rewatch, it just mm -hmm. punched me in the gut.
0: Yeah, well, I think that, you know, uh, going back to context, it's the type of scene that today, unfortunately... Is something that we hear a lot, you know. It's it's a meme nowadays, you know. And then they came for me, and we hear it all the time because of our current political climate and what the current administration has 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 done. And people are feeling scared and disenfranchised in such a way that they're calling up these, you know, parallels to to that time in in Germany. And you know whether or not it's it's on the mark or or an exaggeration or, or melodrama is. You know, anyone can, can draw their own conclusion. That said, the fact that we're saying it and the fact that it feels as poignant as it does is enough of an indicator to say that something is sure as hell happening. And I, I agree, the scene definitely feels a bit like a gut punch in 2018 when it should feel like something we look back on and shake our head and say, I wish that had never happened as opposed to it feeling too real and present, which this does.
1: Sure, yeah. I mean, I feel like maybe this is a good time to mention Like, As I was re- watching that scene and recalling, like, I remember... Right after Trump was elected, uh, there were people sharing posts. There was also a cracked.com article that I even shared on mine that basically said, like, yes, this is bad, but don't freak out. Here are some reasons why, you know, not to lose all hope right now. Yeah. And no one directly commented on my post, but then I started seeing people posting and people, you know, friends of friends posting, you know, because like, like as you see on Facebook, you uh, like people saying, stop sharing articles like that, stop sharing posts like that, especially if you're straight white people, you have nothing to worry about. But he has flat out said he is coming for these other people. We have every reason to freak out. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. And I quietly went back and I deleted my post. Yeah. my post.
0: I, the truth is, though, is I I kind of understand where you're coming from because I know in the immediate aftermath too. For me, I, I I felt so riled up that I didn't want people to take too much time to wallow in their fears and disappointment and sadness over what had happened. Instead, I wanted people. I, I was. I would guess I was feeling a little impatient, a little anxious. I wanted people to you know, get clear heads. Right away and mobilize and figure out what to do instead of crying and, 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 and being scared and disappointed, which is unrealistic because that was a natural reaction for a lot of people. Um, I mean, hell, I've spent plenty of time over the past couple of years crying and disappointed and <laughs> yeah. angry and frustrated. And, you know, I mean, we talk about it on this podcast. And, and again, I think we've stripped away any and all illusion that we're not going to talk about this. I feel like we, you know, we have to sure. talk about yeah. it. and uh, especially in the context of an episode like this. And, and, and you know, I, I, in a way, to anyone out there that's listening, if you're still listening at this point and you're on the other side of the fence from us, I, I, you know, maybe I'll apologize up to an extent that we don't have someone else to maybe balance us out. That said, I think Dennis and I are both pretty fair-minded people, so we're not trying to sit here and say that no one has a, a right to, or, you know, doesn't deserve to draw air or live in the same zip code as we do but i think that there's some fundamental differences of opinion out there and 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 some of them are are downright frightening right now so you know we're 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 recording this on a day when there have been nine different explosive device devices sent to nine different people on one side of the fence and the guy who is the figurehead for the other side of the fence is trying to tell people no, violence isn't the answer. When a week ago he was talking about how the guy who body slammed a reporter was his guy, and anybody who body slams somebody is, you know, somebody he can get behind, and yeah. you know, has been out there encouraging violence from the get go, and now he wants to disown it, and it's bullshit. Yeah. So
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, you kind of bring up um, uh, to me what is a really good example of what people were feeling the day after the election, um, and now that I think about it, it, it is kind of a. No, I, I don't want to go so, so far as to say it, it's a parallel between, between, between this and, and Mrs. Klingman in the episode, because between anything and the Holocaust, like there, there is no fair comparison. Uh, right, sure. None, none whatsoever. But um, the day after the election, I went to work, and I, uh, I'm a massage therapist and a realtor now, but at the time, I was only a massage therapist. And almost everybody that I worked on that day was rattled to one extent or another and one of my regular clients um, is a a lesbian she is married and she ended up just like breaking down crying on the table because she was so scared because like she didn't know what Trump getting elected meant for her marriage and she said uh, she said something to the effect of and if I have to fight for my marriage again, I'll fight, I'll fight. I've been an activist all my life, but I'm just so tired.
0: Yeah. Man, I mean, I saw people crying on the train going to work the next morning. Yeah. You know? um, and I, I, I think that one of the things that mrs Klingman kind of hits on is that feeling that you you know you get if you allow yourself to get too far away from something you know we're talking like 20 some odd years on after uh you know some of these events had had begun anyway when in in the time the episode takes place and you know she kind of has to remind sam um or eddie if you will um about where she's coming from and why she feels the way that she does. Um, and I, I I think that if there's maybe a somewhat glimmer of hope and maybe it's because it feels like there's this constant all out assault on, you know, decency and ideals, uh, that we don't need that reminder, I guess Mm -hmm. from, from Mrs. Klingman right now. Yeah. Um, but maybe in a way that's what you got from your, from your client. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that idea that, uh, yeah, there have been people that have been fighting a long damn time. And just when, you know, people were starting to see light at the end of the tunnel, um, it's like somebody turned out the lights and, and yeah.
1: Now the thing, uh, yeah, and uh, the the silver line into this, and, and this is a discussion that Betsy and I've had a lot. We had this discussion the other night. The thing is, is like, um, and I think Obama said this to his staff the day after the election. Uh, you know, history is not a straight line. History zigzags. The pendulum swings back and forth. I can't remember how exactly he puts it. The thing is, like, we have the, the pendulum has swung hard one way, but that just yeah. means when it swings back the other way it's going to swing back even harder.
0: And hey, man, maybe we'll see evidence of that in a couple of weeks. You know, we, we can we can hope. I know that there's it's a lot of commentary from both sides saying a lot of different things right now, so who knows what we're going to see. But we could, maybe
1: we'll see the start of that in a couple of weeks. Hopefully so, yeah. So to kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're yeah, we've, we've gone over the plot, we're kind of all over the place. And th- this is the, the thing that I find fascinating about this episode, like putting it in the context of the day, is that we have that scene, which, by the way, it, it's it's a great scene because it has a great message, but it also ends on such like this uh, on this heart tugging note of levity. Because oh, be, yeah. because because it, the scene starts off says I, I, I'm not much of a I'm not much of a salesman, and at the end of the scene, Sam says, "Well, if you feel this way, and then if nothing can stop it, why are you thinking about buying a shelter?" And she. And she starts laugh crying and she says, You're right, you're not a very good salesman. Yeah. And it, and it just ends on a great note. And then Al walks in at the end of that scene and uh, calls Sam uh, a, a, a good minch for. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause he's, cause, cause Al's like, I've been, you know, how long you've been, or Sam says, how long
0: you've been there? And Al's been there, you know, I've been there long enough. And, and, and no, you're right. I mean, it is interesting. The scene, you know, it starts off almost with a sort of a lighter tone and then it gets, you know, very serious. Uh, and then it kind of ends on that lighter tone. And it is, it is really nice and really well done. I think the episode as a whole is, is actually very well written and constructed. Um, I, I think that the, The overall tension, uh, you know, holds together really well. You know, especially Sam oftentimes doesn't feel like he's being heard. Um, He's trying to offer hope in in certain situations. I think the scene with uh, the son, the little boy, is is, is very well done. Um, Another thing that that scene made me think of as I was watching it, too, is that uh, the music in this episode, it feels like Felton Ray Bunch was taking a little chances, you know, expanding uh, on the overall... Um, you know, ska- musical landscape of the show um, because early on, when Al is telling his story about flying uh, reconnaissance planes over Cuba, oh, yeah. and then you know when Sam's telling the bedtime story, uh, if you will, that you know there's these music cues that are like sort of variations of the theme a little bit, and 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 work really really well um, musically within the episode. I thought. Um,
1: That's right. I I had, that's a bit of Al's history that I had completely forgotten. Again, touching back, like I had almost like completely forgotten this episode. So yes, I had forgotten that bit of, of Al's history. And that was a really nice scene.
0: So, you know, I think that um, just just to, to, to throw a few more facts out there at everyone, uh, that, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis, it would last for 13 days. Um, obviously, there's the, the you know, rather well-known film, 13 Days of Kevin Costner, um, that f- from what I've read, uh, does, does a pretty good job, um, you know, Dramatizing the the events. Uh, there's also another film called Missiles of October. The funny thing is, is Missiles of October is actually based on Bobby Kennedy's book Thirteen Days, whereas Thirteen Days is not actually based on Thirteen Days, okay. um, but but another book. Um, and uh, uh, which oddly enough, I think that book that it's based on is called Missiles of October. So how's that for a you know, for, oh, for wow. screwing with your head a little bit? But anyway, um, the um, the uh, the beginning of it was, you know, was October sixteenth, uh, uh, um, and it would last until October twenty eighth. Um, part of what happened is that uh, Kennedy had sort of run on a campaign promise of, of you know, helping to bridge the missile gap, and it was kind of a fictionalized account, quite frankly, of how many missiles the Soviet Union had. And uh, you know, Kennedy kind of blamed Eisenhower for being soft on defensive spending and not really, you know, doing much to. Uh, um, you know, measure up to what the Soviet Union was producing. We know now in hindsight that that was all false, that they didn't have nearly as many uh, missiles as Kennedy said that they did. In fact, in a lot of ways, Khrushchev was, was concerned that the U.S. had too many. Um, so there was a lot of back and forth there. Um, in addition to all of this, the United States had actually placed installations in Turkey and Italy um, with missiles of our own. Um, it, sort of in response to this, the Soviet Union decided to put missiles in Cuba, um, everyone knew at that particular point in time that the Soviet Union outnumbered our ground forces two to one. They had more guns, more tanks, especially in Europe. Um, you know, any sort of land war was going to be a loss. So the idea was is that if there was going to be any kind of conflict, that it would be indeed nuclear war, um, that what it was really about was positioning. Um, and so the, the, the best place to put these missiles for the Soviet Union was Cuba. Mm-hmm. Um, when we found out that they were there, Shit got a little crazy. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Khrushchev at that point, he believed that Kennedy was soft. He believed that he was he was scared after the failed Bay of Pigs invasion where we tried to invade Cuba to yeah. overthrow communism. Um, and uh, Kennedy, on the other hand, actually the exact opposite had happened because Kennedy was pissed off actually after the Bay of Pigs. Um, for those that don't know, I actually played uh, uh, John F. Kennedy a few years back, uh, about five years ago, actually, um, and uh, did a lot of research. So, so some of the stuff um, I, I've read quite a bit about, um, so, so it was easy to kind of connect with the episode from that particular point. But one of the things that, that Kennedy um, was extremely upset about um, after the Bay of Pigs was that he felt he'd been misled by a lot of his advisors, especially uh, General Curtis LeMay, uh, now, General Curtis Lemay's reaction to the uh, to to the Cuban Missile Crisis was that they should Im- invade immediately, um, that they should just you know take out the sites, take out Cuba, and 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 you know provoke a, you know all-out war. And his belief was, of course, that they would call Khrushchev's bluff. Um, the truth of the matter is is that we're damn lucky that Kennedy was pissed off at LeMay and that none of that ever happened because cooler heads were able to prevail uh, to the point that after the Cuban Missile Crisis, there was actually a Washington-Moscow uh, line um, phone basically installed uh, in the White House and in the Oval Office so that Kennedy and Khrushchev could speak anytime they wanted to. Um, the, how close we came to war... <laughs> and this is no joke is uh there was actually a um a ship that was throwing depth charges over and um there was a submarine russian submarine off the coast that thought that the depth charges were a sign of, of war um and the uh the submarine was the yeah, the B59 um, and uh, it had a 15 kiloton nuclear torpedo. The submarine had been submerged for too long. They were running out of air. Um, the, they needed to resurface. The three officers on board apparently had an argument uh, between the captain, uh, the political officer, and the deputy commander. Um, they agreed that it had to be a unanimous decision to launch the missile. And Vasily Arkhipov apparently was the only one that said, no, we we shouldn't do this. And basically there are um, quite a few people that say that that guy saved the world. Because if it wouldn't have been for him saying no, they would have launched the missile and war would have broken out. And you and I wouldn't be sitting here talking about a TV show. <laughs> What's that guy's name?
1: <laughs> Vasily Arkhipov. Wow. Yeah. We <laughs> should... Uh, you know, listening to that I don't know if I ever actually ran this by you or not But we were like kicking around the idea of a Quantum Leap podcast I thought about uh, Like not even talking about the episodes mm. Just every episode We would pick one historical thing Out of the episode And just do like a Stuff You Should Know-esque <laughs> Back and forth and give each other a history lesson on it uh, yeah. Maybe we'll do a spinoff after we wrap this up uh, Quantum right? History coming in 2019 uh, um,
0: two, two, two other things there's one other thing besides these two but I just want to throw these two out there real quick uh, part of the Soviet Union and part of what led to a lot of the tension over the event is that the Soviet Union initially denied all of these um, allegations that they had the, the missile sites there um, as a part of uh, I'm going to probably mispronounce this but Maskarovka which was their term for deceit, deception, camouflage, you know, at all costs, deny, 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 uh, you know, we'll we'll lie our way out of this. Um, They did camouflage all these missile sites. They did try to uh, mask all of them. They were so good at it that even up until the actual end and resolution of the crisis that the United States never knew exactly how many missiles they had there. In addition to that, they didn't realize that, so for the ICBMs, which would have been the big missiles that if they would have hit would have destroyed you know, cities, um, in addition to those, they actually had smaller nuclear weapons that were under the command of regular officers and would not have required codes and approvals from Moscow in order to launch. So there were there were regular Joes out there or. You know, regular ruskies, whatever you want to say, with their finger on the trigger the entire time. That didn't need a special code from Moscow in order to launch the missiles. Um, there were like over, you know, over two hundred or something uh, uh, like that. So it was the and and a lot of the, and the crazy thing about this is a lot of this wasn't even known until about fifteen or sixteen years ago. Damn. Yeah.
1: One guy um, had a rough day.
0: Yeah. Right. Uh, the other thing, of course, that's mentioned within the course of the episode, which also plays into what Al says early on in the episode, is that there the there were some other casualties, but the, the, the only actual combat casualty of the entire conflict was Major Rudolph Anderson, Jr., whose U-2 spy plane was indeed shot down. Um, his remains were not returned until after the crisis was over. Uh, he wouldn't be buried, I believe, and interred uh, in, in South Carolina until November 2nd. Um, apparently... Khrushchev was pissed about this because the order had been that they would not engage any of these spy planes. The idea was, is we don't care if they're taking pictures. We don't care if they're coming over and flying over Cuba. We don't want to provoke them that way. This is more about saying, here are our missiles, they're here, you know they're here, we know they're here. Uh, apparently it was Raul Castro who actually ordered the plane to be shot down. Um, which is fascinating because Fidel Castro always held that he did not actually want the Soviet Union putting missiles on Cuba. So it, 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 there's there's a lot of fascinating history to, to this, and, and clearly a lot of, you know, he said, she said. So who knows exactly what the truth is? But the unfortunate fact is, is that uh, Major Rudolph Anderson was indeed shot down and killed, um, wow. um, which really help to provoke things further, and obviously in the course of this episode is one of the things that
1: Mac picks up on as sort of proof positive that war is coming. Sure, you know? yeah. And so that's what what I find interesting about the theme of this episode, is that you know, we, we have the same with Mrs. Klingley that we just talked about, but it's Sam trying to convince everybody that it's all going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And he has the luxury of that knowledge. Yeah. Trying to calm everyone down when everybody else has legitimate reason to think that they that they are going to be dead by Halloween, to touch on the the one scene between between him and the mom that that comes. I later. was just yeah, I was just thinking yeah, of that too. Yeah, that, that, that up. comes later on in the episode. And uh, you know, it, it just touch it back what we were talking about earlier. Like we're like we're living in a time right now where you want to tell people that you know we are in a struggle right now, but it's all going to be okay. Yeah. But you also have to be careful how you say that, because if you're not careful how you say that, especially like us, two straight white guys who are the safest of safe, uh, you have to be careful who you say that to and how you say that, because we are coming from a very privileged place. And there are a lot of other people who have every right to not feel that way right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, hey, you know, look, I, you know, I'm not gonna be that guy. I mean, I want to believe that everything's gonna be okay, and I, you know, and I'm certainly clinging to a lot of hope, uh, especially every time I look at my daughter. But uh, oh god, yeah. But uh, the, you know, the threat of so much uh, of what they were feeling in the context of this episode in 1962 during the Cuban Missile Crisis feels very real again. Um, and I'm not trying to say that we're anywhere near that particular level. Um, yeah, threat, I mean, I, but when you, you, yeah, we should clarify, like, we're, we're not like equating like nuclear war, but, but let's face it though. It seems, that seems more of a possibility now than it did five years ago. Oh God. Yeah. You know, it seems like, like in like, I mean, between Korea and, I mean, it seems like uh, it, it could happen. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And, and, and I never would have said that a few years ago. Um, so I think when you when you see that balance start to shift and, you know, everybody starts to, to feel a little more uncomfortable. Um, the idea that Mac's sort of paranoia, um, it becomes a little bit more understandable. You become a little bit more empathetic. And even though I, I think that Mac is, 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 is played not over the top, but it's um,
1: he comes out a little strong yeah
0: <laughs> so so you know I, again, I'm not saying that you know we're to that that well that fever pitch, but I do think that uh again, just contextualizing the episode in today
1: it it feels a little more real than I would like it to yeah no, and and to touch on Mac and kind of shift gears a little bit, what's interesting about his character, and i don't know I, I don't know if this is in the betrayal or in the writing, but he does seem to be of both worlds of like yes, the world is going to end, or it's legitimately we are... The world is at risk of ending. Mm-hmm. I feel like he literally believes that. Like, he is not just saying that to people in public to sell his shelters. I really feel like he actually legitimately feels that. But yeah. but at the same time, he's also trying to make a buck. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up.
0: Right? He's ba- He's basically profiting off of other people's and his own paranoia. And, and it's almost like you, you, you can't help but wonder, is he selling his own paranoia in order to make money or is he buying in to others? Paranoia as he sells more. It's, it's, it's kind of an interesting, deal you know, psychologically speaking, it's like, is this something he's creating or is it something that he's fulfilling? You know what I mean? For
1: sure. And it's the thing is, it's like, is he really worried about making money or is it, like, it's like a money is power thing. And like, the way he keeps control over everything is like, he's a salesman, so he's going to sell people things, you know? Well, money may not be worth anything in a few days, but yeah.
0: All right. Good point. Well, the, and you know, with, with the people that he tries to sell, um, you know, like early on, we see Bert, um, Eddie making their Sam as Eddie making the pitch to Bert and, and doing a terrible job of it as he reads from the pamphlet. And it's fun because you can see Mac, you know, kind of standing there, like trying to get it, you know, get him to be bigger, get him to be more sincere. But Sam's just r- sort of reading, you know, monotonously out of this book and Bert at first, you know, turns him down, even though he's getting the neighbor discount of 20% off. So it would, instead of being three grand, it'd be like $2,400. Um, and, um, And then you get the scene later on when Bert's in there, you know, stealing food from the shelter and Sam finds him there and Bert has bought into that paranoia now, you know, the grocery stores are running out of things. Everybody's crazy. There's a line. There's, you know, there's soldiers in the street. There's this, there's that, there's that. And he's, and he's freaking out and he just, you know, basically shoves the check at Sam and is like, here, you know, take my money. And Mac is over the moon when Sam gives him the check yeah you know thinks it's like the greatest thing he's ever done um it's yeah it's 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 a little hard to like mac and especially the way the episode ends when they're sitting there after the speech and like mac's kind of all distraught about what am i gonna do i got my guys i got you know there's been like you know five cancellations or something like that of people's construction of their Mm -hmm. fallout shelters yeah and then Sam brings up the idea about swimming pools, and then you, you realize that Mac's going to be okay, and the family's going to make all this money, and there's a party that's kind of like, I don't really care
1: if he does. You know, I mean, that's the product of, like, you know, we've got to wrap the episode up in a cute little bow, but yeah, I was watching, I was like, you know, uh, you know, we just had a really traumatic event, Stevie almost shot and killed someone. Yeah. Let's let's unpack how... Tra- I mean, just having gone through the Cuban Missile Crisis and having gone through this like really traumatizing false alarm at the end of the episode, that is going to put you in therapy long enough. Right? On top of that, you almost killed someone. Your son almost killed someone. Uh, you know, I would like to see him going off to, to, to therapy and maybe Mac working on his anger issues and everything, but again... Uh, you know, this is a TV show. We got to wrap it all up nice and neat.
0: Sure. Well, in Stevie, you know, the thing about Stevie is it's not only does he almost shoot Bert, but that like when we see things from Stevie's perspective, he doesn't even see Bert. All he sees is a soldier. Love that. He sees this. I do too. But he sees like this looming, sh- terrifying shadow of a soldier in front of him, and he's, you know, the, this this machine of fear. Uh, has just completely overtaken this poor boy who Sam has tried to, you know, soothe by giving him the bedtime story about traveling through time and, you know, and the freak out that, um... Of course, what's the what's the the girl's name? Uh, Kimberly, Kimmy. Yeah. The thing that 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 she, you know, when she breaks down because now she doesn't have the faith in her father anymore because Eddie's saying she's a lie, he's yeah. a liar, and you know, and, and the scene between the mother and it, 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 it's the family dynamics that are at play, and the fact that the father has become so unhinged and paranoid, and the way that you see it affecting the children, and the way you see it affecting his wife. Um, And then on the opposite side, the way that Sam's, you know, attempts to allay all of these fears and and, and lessen that that paranoia and the effect that that has, the power struggle that kind of takes place, uh, is actually well done. Um, I remember what I was going to say earlier, actually, going all the way back. Uh, I had mentioned uh, a few episodes ago that uh, I compared this episode favorably to Thou Shalt Not. And upon watching the episode, while I I, I think I know why I did that, I don't know that that was a fair comparison because I don't know that I would class this in the same family drama realm that I would an episode like Thou Shalt Not. Um, But that said, if there is a time where it maybe kind of starts to come close to that, it is the, you know, the sort of the, the conflict that happens within... The family, sure. um, because we do see some interesting moments between father son, you know, uncle son, uncle, you
1: know, niece and etc. etc. Yeah. Et so, yeah, so, so yeah, I want to throw this at you. This occurred to me the second time I rewatched it in the last couple of weeks. The scene between Sam and Kimberly mm-hmm. is a weird mirroring of the scene between Sam and Kate and the Leap Home. Totally, I completely agree. I thought the same damn thing. It's it's yep. a it's a it's a it's a play on it. Instead of like trying to convince her a bad thing is going to happen, he's trying to convince her a good thing is going to happen, and it has a similar effect of upsetting her in this weird unintended way. Yeah. No,
0: I know. I uh, and in the. Yeah, I, I thought the same exact thing. I think that you know, obviously, the difference here is that Sam ends up being less affected by it because oh, obviously oh God, yeah. he, his personal stakes aren't as 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 high. Um, and we get the conversation then with um, the mom out of it, yeah, uh, which I thought was, um, I thought she was, you know, I, I I thought of I thought of Betsy honestly. I, I thought of what you tell me she says and about how that. She was acting. Oh, she was acting.
1: Oh, oh, yeah. You know, the thing that, th- I mean, it, it, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, that, that scene was what it was as far as from an acting st- from an acting standpoint. Right. The thing that jumped out at me is, like, one, like the Halloween references. like, oh, yeah, this is kind of a Halloween episode. And, again, this is my same gripe with the actual Halloween episode, that episode which shall not be named uh, after all the <laughs> tech problems that we've had lately. Yeah, my God. Uh, uh, the the Halloween decorations look too modern. Sure. It literally looks like they just ran out to the store in 1991 and got whatever Halloween decorations they could. Anyway, minor gripe.
0: Uh, no, but I, 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 I agree with you. Um, it,
1: it's... Um
0: yeah, it is yeah, what, what they, they Had to
1: do. Yeah, <laughs> but the thing is, like, to, like to talk about like the the structure of the episode overall, or what I really enjoy about it is that one. I love the fact we you know, we talk, we have like Sam who's always really invested, and then we have like Workman Sam who's just like there to do a job. He doesn't really get emotionally invested, and I feel like this episode is Workman Sam, like not really emotionally invested in any of this. He's just trying to do what needs to get done. And get it done.
0: Yeah, and you know, the thing is, is he's not doing it with a lot of grace. He feels a bit like a blunt instrument in this one, just kind of pounding and pounding again, hoping to kind of get through. uh,
1: I mean, the one thing uh, that is kind of a graceful thing is like it's uh, I mean, he does try to pound through to get back. But also at the same time, he does get the idea of sneaking the keys, going out, taking the shells out of the shotgun because sure. that's what they—that's what they think Bird is going to get shot with, and that's what I like about this episode. Is like they're there uh, until we get to the end. Like there are no big action pieces. We're not like really building towards something. There are like these little individual scenes, like these little you know things with, you know Stevie by the window at night, and that's a nice little scene talking about you know you know time travel and coming from the future, knowing things, and the scene with Kim and the scene with Mom and the scene with Mrs. Klingman, and just. Uh, You know, the the sequence of him sneaking the keys away to take out the thing, and then, like, just a moment of like coming up out of the shelter, and Stevie sees him and they have that awkward exchange of, Hey, what are you doing? Nothing. And just that, and then Sam sneaking back in, and then, like, sneaking the keys back in and make, you know, not making it obvious that that he had taken the keys. Um, Right. And then even like later on when he's uh, – the scene before that when he's burying the shells, in a very subtle way, they foreshadow what's going to happen in the next scene because I don't know if you know. In the background, Sam the dog is digging yeah. around.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: And then it's like, yeah, all of the, the – yeah, the way the episode was structured, like it, 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 it just – it didn't feel like it was hitting all the normal beats an episode is supposed to hit. Sure. And because of that, it kind of stuck out more at me.
0: Uh, Yeah, I I would agree with that. You know, the other thing that is interesting is it felt like a little bit of um, I don't know, maybe false tension, a little hokey to have the dog chewing on the shells and everybody freaking out about the shell going off in the dog's mouth. And, you know, it was just sort of like, was that necessary? Because isn't the real tension here that Mac found out that Eddie tried to bury the shell. You know what I mean? Like what? I don't, like what did that add? What
1: I mean to me what it added and why I liked it. It was it was just like this completely random thing. Yeah. And that's the thing. It was just out of nowhere. It's like an example of a completely unintended consequence of what Sam was trying to do. Um we didn't get any any hokey, you know, like like Al was caught off guard as much as anyone. Like he didn't have sure. it. He didn't have any information. He didn't have anything. Oh, now you've changed history and now this happens. Blah blah blah. <laughs> right, right. It was right. just this. That that that's why I loved it. It was just a completely random thing out of the blue, and it just escalated. Yeah. Uh, and it escalated the tension between Mac and Sam to a point where now Sam has done something that has physically put people in danger.
0: That's no, it's a good point. That's a good point, point. and I guess it does kind of heighten the 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 idea that you know there's danger lurking around every corner here, you know. And it also, I
1: mean, clearly, it puts Mac and Eddie at odds big time. Yeah. But it, yeah, it, it yeah, it was uh and the thing we were about to see is like so they build up, they have a fight. Mac throws Sam out, and then Sam refuses to leave. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, they, I mean, excuse me like they, they could have read it differently like Mac throws Sam down and then that's when the siren starts going off Sam doesn't have time to leave but instead we get this weird thing of like Mac tries to throw Sam out and then we like jump a little bit later and then Sam's voiceover says that him and Mac argued for hours after the point with him refusing to leave yeah it's just that, like, like I said like as far as like from writing structure it just seems very odd
0: yeah, like we like almost like we're missing a little something, or that, yeah. or that. Yeah, it's it, it's definitely sort of a case of like, you know, the opposite of show don't tell. You know? Yeah, it's just like we get told the the information as opposed to actually getting to
1: see it. So I don't for know. sure, uh, I don't know that, that that's why I appreciate it. And then we you know then we jump into the climatic sequence, uh, and then we find out it was it was never Mac who shot. Bert all along. It was always Stevie with the thirty eight because he's, he's he's dead. he goes out like the like the back way up in the bomb shelter, and like you like mentioned before, like we get this great scene of we see things from Stevie's point of view and he doesn't see Bert trying to break into the shelter. He sees a Russian sh- soldier trying right. to break into the shelter. And I don't, I feel like next season we're going to get a couple of moments like that, but I don't think we've ever before like gotten the scene like entirely from another character's point of view like that where you see like this illusion.
0: No, I, yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, obviously we've gotten things from Sam's point of view that are, that are sort of false, if you will, or a little unreliable, but you're right. I don't know that we've really gotten anything from another character's point of view quite like this.
1: Yeah. So I really, yeah, I really enjoyed that. And again, it makes makes me wish we've, we've touched on this a lot. Like, I really wish that, uh, when they showed things from another character's point of view, they would not show Sam as Scott Bakula, but they would show Sam as the person that Sam had leaked mm-hmm. into. Uh right, right, but right. Yeah. Uh so yeah, so anyway, the the situation gets resolved. Sam, at the last moment, he you know, he cries, you know, duck and cover. It turns out, obviously, that the, the sirens that had gone off were were just a fluke, a false alarm that just happened to go off just as JFK was coming onto to TV and it almost looked, it looked like he was about ready to make an non, uh, ominous announcement right. and which by the way
0: just just for uh, for kicks uh, there is actually a, a draft uh, of the speech that he was going to give oh, if they yeah. had yeah if they had to go to war basically um, and, and it's you, pretty you, it's pretty damn chilling. <laughs>
1: Do you want to do you, do you want to brush off your 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 JFK? Uh,
0: oh, you know
1: it's so funny because somebody asked me that not too long
0: ago, and I got to be honest, like I, you know, I'll do an Irish one. I'll do I'll do you know three different kinds of UK. I'll do you know what I mean like I've got I, I'll do dialects all day long, but but the Kennedy one, it's not. It's, 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 it's not, it's not easy. It's, 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 it's difficult to do. It's, yeah, it's just not, it's, yeah, it's, you know, because you always, you always way just sound like, you know, fucking Chief Wiggum or something. But anyway, or not Chief Wiggum, uh, um, Mayor, uh, Oh dear God! I'm blanking now on the mayor's name from The Simpsons. But uh, anyway, point is, is yeah, I I, I I could give you a taste of it, but I'm not promising it would be any damn good. It was tough. It was tough, man. It was it was hard to do actually.
1: Oh God, I can imagine. Yeah,
0: yeah. but um, yeah, I you know I did actually have. Um, so the episode obviously takes place on October twenty sixth, nineteen sixty two, which is the also October twenty sixth is the date that we're going to drop this. Uh, I do have a copy of um, Khrushchev's letter to Kennedy that he sent on that date, and uh, I really loved this, and 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 I, I copied and pasted it, and I wanted to to share it with our listeners, and I felt like it was really apropos of the episode, and and also of, of our own time. Um, He writes, Mr. President, we and you ought not now to pull on the ends of the rope in which you have tied the knot of war, because the more the two of us pull, the tighter that knot will be tied. And a moment may come when that knot will be tied so tight that even he who tied it will not have the strength to untie it, and then it will be necessary to cut that knot. And what that would mean is not for me to explain to you, because you yourself understand perfectly of what terrible forces our countries dispose. Consequently, if there is no intention to tighten that knot and thereby to doom the world to the catastrophe of thermonuclear war, then let us not only relax the forces pulling on the ends of the rope, let us take measures to untie that knot. We are ready for this. And I love what that says. And, you know, I thought earlier about sharing something that Kennedy had written or Kennedy had said. But it almost became more important to me to share something that Khrushchev had written or said, because one of the things that's beautiful about this episode is Sam is telling Stevie at one point that the Russians aren't bad people, Yeah. that they just want, you know, they just want the same things that we want. And I think that that gets, that's the thing that we lose sight of so often, whether or not that's the people living in the red state or the blue state, or whether that is is indeed, even now in 2018, the Russians or, or the Chinese or the North Koreans or, you know, it's, it's, it's so important, I think, to take note of the fact that no one wants to press that button. And I have no doubt that there are people out there that are terrible, power hungry, greedy human beings that don't value human life that they see is beneath them in any way, shape, or form. But the minute we start to talk about an entire country or an entire political party as being less than or the enemy, we've already lost. So it's important to remember that common thread And in this particular instance, that common thread that was espoused by Khrushchev in this letter is that neither one of those guys wanted to press that button, Mm. not Khrushchev, not Kennedy. And at that particular point in time, they were able to create a dialogue Mm. when they, in essence, basically had guns pointed at each other's Mm
1: -hmm.
0: heads, you know, And, and, and I just think that that's incredibly important for us to remember now.
1: That's a great point. I feel like, you know, when we, when we talk about, you know, like we've been at odds with, with Russia and, and Korea the last few months. But I always feel like, uh, you know, at least as uh, progressive, like like we're at odds with Putin. We're at odds with Kim Jong Un. Like we're like mm-hmm. like we don't find ourselves demonizing the the, the common Russian person, and the common Korean person. I do think we are much more apt to demonize the common Trump supporter. Hell. (laughs) It's hard, man. It's hard. I know. Yeah. Um, To kind of check ourselves on that. But
0: yeah. 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 No, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. It's like it's it's one thing to say it. You know, it's one thing for me to sit here and, and say all these, you know, wonderful little things. I hope they're wonderful. I don't know. But, you know, it's, it's another thing to live up to it. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, that's something that Adelaide Stevenson once said, you know, that um, it's one thing to have to have principles. It's another sure. thing entirely to live up to them. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot. He was and he was talking about he was actually talking about the Bill of Rights and freedom of speech. Yeah, and um, you know it's 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 pretty easy to talk about how important they are, but to actually live up to it is a whole other thing. Thing,
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, the um, I was listening to a podcast the other day talking about you know like the Me Too movement and why it happened now, mm-hmm. at, at, at this moment in history. And uh, this is something that I observed, but I didn't know that there was actual like name for it. Uh, but horizontal violence. Mm. When you can't you can't overthrow the person in power. So you turn and you fight the person alongside you that you can fight. Mm-hmm. Uh so I've been thinking about that a lot between liberals and conservatives yeah. as of late. So I'm just trying to just trying to check myself as far, as far as the attitudes I have towards the towards the average Trump supporter.
0: Yeah, no, I can I can get behind that as long as it's not Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, or Donald Trump. I'm pretty much okay. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> yeah, or yeah,
0: yeah. No, no, no. I I, 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 I I'm only sort of joking. Um, but
1: uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, no, I, I completely get what you're saying and agree with you. And, and, and I think that one of the things that this episode does well is, is shows us what can happen when, you know, those tensions and fears and paranoia overtake you and you start seeing sure. enemies in your own backyard that aren't even there. Yeah. You know, you're seeing you're, your neighbor becomes the enemy. Yeah. And, and not even so much as that Stevie sees Bert as a Russian soldier, but as in that Mac doesn't want to let him in you know, Mac sure. shows. Mac. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, 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 that's the thing too. It's man.
1: You get Yeah. But it's, um, this episode reminded me of rewatching it. I, I know, I know you're familiar with the episode, the twilight zone episode, the monsters are due on Maple street. Oh God. Yeah. Such a great episode. Uh, yeah. Which one, them, uh, it's, uh, twilight zone. It's on Netflix. This is, uh, episode 22 of, of the first season. Um, uh, mm-hmm. but it's, very much the same thing, but it's it, you know it, it, the Twilight Zone like it does a twenty two minute heightened morality play. Yeah, definitely recommend. They taught it. that. Check it
0: out. Um, they taught that in uh, seventh grade. I w- I w- I actually was in Catholic school when I was in seventh grade and uh, the monsters are due on Maple Street was taught. It was in our literature book. The oh, script. Wow. And we read and we read that actually. Um, and I, I mean, I loved it because it's like, oh, this is, this is right up my yeah. alley, you
1: know. I will 12 say that. 12-year-old Sam. Yeah, that's one I totally older. missed as a kid. Uh, and then a few months ago, I was doing a rewatch of The Twilight Zone and, and that yeah. episode. Yeah. I was like, how, how were they not rerunning this episode all the time when I was a kid? Yeah, right. I just Well, the it. funny thing is, so in that episode, I feel
0: like you're right, is a great parallel to this episode. One of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes is called um, Two. And uh it's it's not a parallel but it's what could have happened if things went wrong because it's it's basically the last two people on Earth after, you know, some sort of war has uh, happened. is and, the woman uh, Elizabeth it, Montgomery? Yeah, it's Elizabeth okay. Montgomery and Charles Bronson.
1: That's Charles right. Charles Bronson yeah.
0: is, is like <laughs> yeah. is, is basically the US soldier and uh Elizabeth Montgomery is, is, is supposed to be the Russian uh soldier. And um yeah, it's 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 a really, really good episode. Uh it's stuck with me, I'll tell you that much. But, I mean, hell, so much of The Twilight Zone does. That show is just...
1: Oh, sure, yeah.
0: Um, so, anyway, I mean, we've, we've obviously... We've, we've gone all over the place with this one, but... Yeah, our format just been, it's, it's, right out the window, yeah. I think like it's been a good conversation. I don't know, what else uh, What else you got, man? What else you got for
1: us here? No, I think... Uh, let me take a look at my notes. I think, uh, yeah, The Monsters, You do Have Maple Street, that's a note that I had in here. Um... You know, I, I, I love picking out like sets and see if I remember from previous episodes. I feel like the house set, (laughs) I feel like the house set, at least part of it is, uh, is the same set as, uh, as Tom and Peggy's house from the pilot episode. Oh, I'll be damned. Huh. You might be right about that. I think it may have been moved around a little bit, but I think, yeah, um, Let's see here. Uh, I love Sam's quote and the, the conversation with Stevie. There's nothing wrong with being afraid, but sometimes it just doesn't do any good. Yeah, I mean, you're never going to put that on a motivational poster, but like just coming, just just coming up with it in the moment, it was pretty good.
0: Oh, you know, there's another line that we didn't talk about uh, actually that happens very early uh, in the episode. Uh, but Sam actually s- describes what quantum leaping is like. Yep, yep. And and and, and I loved that because it's we've never we've never really gotten that insight before.
1: No, I mean there's there's even uh, there's even a line in a later episode in a in a pretty important scene in a later episode where it's implied that Sam doesn't know what it, what he looks like. What he's leaping mm. or what that looks like. So yeah, yeah that, that was kind of an interesting juxtaposition.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And well, we, well it, cause we do get times when Al basically alludes to what it looks like. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, I thought that was a really cool little line, you know, the, where he's like, your atoms being pulled apart and a flash of smashed, light stuff, yeah. like Yeah. 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 And um, then,
1: uh, and, and then, yeah, we, we uh, talked about the last scene. That's, uh, Mac is gonna sell fun instead of fear. Yeah, which is a great little line. And, I, and, I, you I, know, and Al
0: has a good moment there where he's like, you know, looking at the hand link, figuring out like, oh my, this is gonna work. He's gonna, you know, he's really gonna do this. What,
1: what I love about that scene is is the look on Sam's face. He kind of throws some side eye at Al, that he's like, yeah, yeah, you, you dumbass, look at the hand link. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. Uh. Uh, no, it is.
0: It is one of those instances where it does feel like Sam. Sam is very sly in that moment. Like, yeah, watch what I'm about to do. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, I think it, it wraps up well. I, I, I think that um, again, it's hard for me to be too happy about Max going to be a successful pool salesman, <laughs> underground pool salesman, whatever. Uh I love, you know, I love the information that we get about Al, about him flying reconnaissance missions and being a part of the Cuban Missile Crisis in that way an active participant. Yeah. Again, the music cue there is really well done. Um, you know, it plays in well with what we know about Al obviously in Vietnam and everything that happens to him afterwards. Um it the it, 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 it just it, again, I I think this episode stands up really really well. I like it quite a bit. Um one of the criticisms I read was somebody said um, something about Sam not changing his tactics, and how they didn't understand why Sam didn't change tactics at some point. That he basically just kept trying to tell them everything's going to be okay; they don't need to worry about it. He didn't really do anything, and and I didn't resi- I didn't really agree with that. I I feel like he he was pretty proactive as best he could be. I think that you know one of the things that added to the tension of the episode is that he was struggling to figure out exactly what to do. I feel like had he had he tried too much it would have been too much and had he figured it out before the climax it would have, it would have been no dramatic tension so the fact that he, you know, it was a struggle for him um, and that he
1: you know I don't know I didn't have a problem with it no like I didn't uh, yeah I didn't have an issue with that like I said I feel like this is one of the strongest episodes of the third season probably since Black on White on Fire I completely agree uh, yeah. I mean, uh, last dance was obviously that was that was a really heightened one. But like I said, what mm-hmm. what I appreciate about this one is like it was just like low uh, low key.
0: Yeah, high
1: stakes but low key, right? Yeah.
0: And and the interesting thing is, you know, here's one of the fascinating things about the episode is that there was a, a heavy dose of dramatic irony because it's like we know that the Cuban missile crisis is going to be okay. These other characters, they don't. Yeah. And so seeing that tension and, and and that, you know, that heightened state uh as 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 viewers as observers is I think really um maybe hard to pull off some of the tension, but by having this you know potential death uh um that sam has to prevent anyway sure. on the line it really kind of put i don't know it, 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 i think it puts you there with it yeah. in a way yeah
1: no yeah it was interesting uh what are some other thoughts uh just, just from the shelter aspect i, I think i've asked you before have you seen a uh, 10 cloverfield lane with john goodman no not yet oh, i know i was supposed to watch is... it this past week it's been a long one, man. Yeah. Oh God. You know, yesterday when you were when you were talking and and you lost your train of thought, and I could see your face, and I could see you trying to get the thought back. There, you know, there's a scene coming up. There's an episode coming up where where Sam gets Swiss cheesed mid sentence. Yeah. And that is what being a dad is like. <laughs> Yes, that, it is. That is, it is like, that is okay. that is like what
0: constant Swiss cheesing. <laughs> that is that is what being a
1: parent is like, especially when you're in the early months and you're hardly getting any sleep. Uh, and it, it is just like what, where, where, where is I? What am I doing? What year is it? Uh, you,
0: you know, you did bring something up though that I'm glad you did because it's one other point to touch on. Sam's memory in this episode is actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, because yeah, he's the...
0: and and you know I feel like they subtly they subtly. Play into it um, without being too overt about it. It's really nice because uh, you know Al has this moment, which I, I firmly believe could have just been Dean Stockwell realizing, you know, that that was would have been the case in the context of the character and, and, and what had come before. Is Al almost looks at him surprised in a way that uh, that Sam is remembering all of these things? Yeah. Um, and I thought that was a really nice touch on Stockwell's part. You know, just to, just to kind of be like. I don't have to tell him what's on the handlink because he knows, and I'm surprised that he knows. He knows, yeah. He doesn't know shit. I mean, it's like, like, <laughs>
1: like he can remember the facts. He just, uh, there, there is a great scene later on, like while while Sam is burying the shells, and, mm-hmm. and he's criticizing like the duck and oh. cover in the cartoons, where yeah. where Sam was like, where Al is like, you don't remember how it was. Like, the the kids need to have something to feel like, yeah.
0: And then that's great because we do get another, we get a little window into Sam's. You know, childhood. But he talks about because he would have been like, you know, eight, nine, ten, or whatever when this was happening, and he remembers his mom like canning food like furiously, like we have to have food, we have to have food, and you know. But he also mentions that being in you know Elkridge, Indiana, it wasn't as like for them the stakes weren't as high as if you were living in
1: in southern Florida. Sure. You yeah. know, yeah. Um, well, not yeah. that there wasn't an awareness, but yeah, yeah. I remember uh, right after nine eleven. I was in Western Kentucky. I was in Murray, Kentucky, which the the closest major town that other town that people may know is Paducah, Kentucky. And you know, people are all like all worried about you know like an actual like physical attack on on our area. And It's like calm down. Right. We, <laughs> we are in Western Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, hey, if we'd have been in Chicago, that worry might have felt a little oh, more. Go- honest oh to come god! Oh god! I can, but... I can,
1: I can only imagine. Anyway, yeah. so, to, so, to, so to, to wrap it up, Sam... You know, I do want to... Th- no sure. before, we, before we wrap it up,
0: actually, that just made me think of something, and I'm going to throw it in here. I was actually, actually at a concert a couple of weeks ago, and um, it was a, um, Songs from the Hymnal, which was uh, Brian Fallon was the headline act. From, he's the lead singer from the Gaslight Anthem. And Craig Finn, who's the lead singer from a band called The Hold Steady, was the opening act. And he has a song called Meyer's Roof, and uh apparently on September eleventh, two thousand one, he was in New York and he was not very far from the towers at all. And uh, he was staying with his friend John Newmeyer and uh they went up to Newmeyer's roof and they were watching this happen. And uh in the midst of all this chaos, you know, and as the buildings fell, uh-huh. when the first tower fell, his buddy, you know, just kind of let out this this sigh and, you know, they were both just shaken, and then he looked over at Craig and he said, you want a beer? And he went downstairs, grabbed a six-pack, and they sat on the roof drinking beer, you know, watching chaos. And, you know, the thing that Craig Finn said is, it's like, what, what else? I, 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 looking back on it, I'm like, man, that seems kind of crass, but in the moment, what else were we going to do? What... Uh... Yeah, you know, it's just like, I guess, I guess, yeah, well, let's just drink a beer. Let's just drink a beer and watch the world come apart, you know? Yeah, I mean, because, um, like,
1: I mean, you know, in that very moment, like, who, who, who yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that that, that, that
0: human aspect of how we deal with things is something that this episode certainly touches upon from every level, from the way the kids are dealing with it, from the way Mac is dealing with it, from the way his wife is dealing with it. And granted, you know, the, the fear and the paranoia that we talk about certainly drive a lot of their actions. But the flip side of that is sometimes sometimes people, you know, all they can do
1: is just sit back and be like, well, I guess I'll have another beer. <laughs> yeah. I remember uh, 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 an acquaintance of mine, uh, Kevin in the storytelling scene here in Chicago. I remember him telling a story once about this either was like later in the day on 9-11 or maybe on 9-12. But he was uh, downtown Chicago, just like standing in a corner, waiting for the walk sign. And uh, he was standing next to a stranger. And the stranger just, uh, out of nowhere, just turned to Kevin. He's like, I have no idea why I'm doing this, but uh, my name is Dennis. Hmm. Just want to introduce myself. I hope you're doing okay. That's it. They introduced themselves, they walked across the street together, that was their moment, and that was that. You know, maybe that's part of the point, you know,
0: instead of trying to make a buck, instead of, you know, getting freaked out and shutting everybody out, instead of, you know, being mad because somebody got the potato chips before you did, or whatever the case might be, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah you know, that that's what we, you know, that's what we need. And we need each other in those, in those times. Yeah. You know we need to be able to turn to each other and, you know, share that, share that human experience. I mean, it's, 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 I think it's one of the reasons why I became an actor. And in turn, it's one of the reasons why I do this podcast. It, it, you know, it's, it's not just about talking about Quantum Leap with my friend, it's about sharing something and and hoping that, you know, somewhere out there. And I think, I genuinely think with a couple of the conversations that we've had with some of the people that interact with us, I think that this is happening and it is and it is incredibly rewarding in a way. And I don't mean that in any sort of like, you know, selfish or arrogant kind of way. Sure. But to, 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 to know that, that we are sharing something, you know, and, and, and that people... Uh, are listening and, and even more importantly, returning that and sharing things with us. Mm. Um, it, it's 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 touching and, and, and um, it feels good and, and I think that
1: yeah yeah you know and it was like hi we, my yeah. name is Sam yeah. <laughs> yeah I am Dennis and here we are uh, yeah we you know we have admittedly a small listenership but I like like the conversation that we have. In the group and on the page, it's always very simple. Uh, I follow with the Halloween movie coming out. Uh, I follow a Halloween podcast and I follow their Halloween page because I know uh, I know a couple of the people. Like a couple of them are based out of Chicago. Uh, Dan Caffrey, you know him. He did the oh yeah he, totally. he, he did the sound for us for for the show that we met on. Uh, he's one of the the hosts of the show and he lives in Austin, Texas now. But he dials in for it. Uh, That's awesome. but it's like watching like they've like they've had a lot of success with their podcast. But the the, the downside of that is, like, on their Facebook page, like, almost every post, somewhere down in the comments, a fight breaks out just because some some listener makes a shitty comment. Like, trying to tear down the host for something or other. That's a bit of a tangent. I just say that to say I I, I love our little listenership that we have and and, and the yeah, conversation sure. that we have. No,
0: I I completely agree. I mean, this has been this has been a joy and and it's it's crazy to already think about it. But there are definitely times when I I take a pause and I think to myself, man, we're over halfway through the series. We you are. Know, it's like whew, we got we got less to do than what we've done, and then I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, there, we got
1: we we got the novels, we got the comic books, and. Uh, Absolutely. Hey, man. You know what? By the time
0: we get done with this thing, the reboot's going to be in production. So we're going to have plenty to cover. Oh, who knows? Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, one day. Uh, oh, by the way, speaking uh, speaking of uh, uh, other like like quantum leap actor related things, uh, shout out to Scott Bakula. Oh yeah. He is finally he has finally <laughs> been on a TV series that surpassed a hundred episodes. That's right. Enterprise didn't do it. Quantum Lee he didn't did do, it. do it. Mr. it. Mrs. Smith didn't do it. Oh God! Oh God, no. Uh, but uh, yeah, in CIS New Orleans, passed 100 episodes recently, and I, I, I saw He's an gonna... episode. Uh, he was on uh, the Colbert Show, and I didn't. I never really thought about it, but I realized, like, yeah, he had never been on a show that surpassed 100 episodes. And <laughs> nice to happen finally at 64.
0: Yeah, well, you know. after you've after been
1: working for over 30 years in the business.
0: Yeah, nah, good for him. To a nicer guy, it couldn't happen.
1: Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so should we talk about the, the, the leap out? Let's do Bring, it, man. Bring it back around to Scott Bakula. Uh, a shocking development.
0: Damn it! <laughs>
1: <laughs> I couldn't resist. That was great. I couldn't resist. Uh, no, I'm so glad yeah, you didn't. Uh, like I said, yeah, you know this episode. You love this episode if you're a fan of the show. Uh, it shocked yeah. theater. Yeah, yeah,
0: and 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 this leap out is you know is terrifying. Um, you know, we talked about the, the leap out into nuclear family being terrifying, but this one I think is even more so. And last dance before an execution uh, is the only thing that really comes close to this. Is for well, I mean, maybe surpasses it, but uh, you know, it is the only one in the same realm that I can think of. Um, because not only is he strapped down to a table, not only is he you know hit in the face by this large, menacing-looking orderly. Um, but he's then given a dose of shock therapy, and it's turned up too high, as we learned from the nurse. Sure. Um, and, it, you know, it, it's fascinating because so many of the leap-ins are meant to be a little bit more evocative, you know, sure. to give you a feeling, to give you a hint. This one... It tells a story. Yes, it's a very short story, and yes, it's a lead-in to the episode, but this one tells more of a story than a lot of leap-ins do. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. How do you not tune into this episode? <laughs> yeah, right. I have very vivid memories of this one, actually. Oh, God. I'm very vivid. And, and like I said to touch touchback, I think why I have like such not vivid memories of Nuclear Family is because it preceded Shock Theater. Sure gets a little overshadowed yeah yeah yeah
0: I, I, I the you know the one two punch of this uh, of the season three finale and the season four premiere in particular I think are pretty strong um, but I'm I'm very excited to talk about shock theater I haven't seen it
1: 12 13 years maybe I don't think um, I don't think I've seen it all the way through in quite a while but this is one of those episodes gun to my head. I could probably remember this episode nearly line for line. That's impressive. If I had to think about it. Including... I mean, I, yeah. Oh, God. Including John Pierre dorliacs You're the butcher. <laughs> I know. That line creeped me out when I was a kid. Yeah. I thought you were going to talk about uh, Al's rap. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> listeners if you uh, would like to submit your your version of al's rap right. <laughs> set us an mp3 fate's wide wheel oh, or also man. say shout out to the group if you do listen for whatever reason you you aren't on our facebook page and our group we are fate's wide wheel accordingly podcast with sam and dennis we have a page we have a group uh please join us uh come over have have conversations Yeah, absolutely. It's been a lot of fun.
0: And don't be shy. You know, if you don't feel like putting something up on the board, send us a direct message. Both Dennis and I usually read them. Dennis is usually the one that responds, but I respond from time to time as well. And, um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we always have such a great time. Um, talking with everyone and 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 we have no problems uh if you call us out and and tell us that we've messed something up either so you know we 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 try to get it right as best we can but uh i think that one of the cool things about the dialogue is is not only do we get these great you know exchange of opinions but sometimes people are able to pick up on something that we missed whether it's a fact about an episode or you know maybe maybe a um a feeling about what something might have meant so um engage and and um you know, we're sitting here talking about a show that's been off the air for 25 years. We might as well try and have as deep of <laughs> <conversations> <laughs> as we can about it, right? As we can.
1: Um, so yeah, next week we're going to be talking about shock theater. Yeah, we're, uh, gonna, uh, we're going to have speaking a Speaking of uh, group, uh, listener Karen is going to be guesting on that episode. Fantastic! I'm just now learning this. I had no idea. Have you? We've we've texted
0: about this. You told me. You know, you just told me that we had a guest. You didn't tell me who it was. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Yeah. Uh, No, I don't care. It's great. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's one of our listeners, Karen. So she will, uh, yeah, she'll be joining us uh, Sunday
0: afternoon to have the discussion. It only took us three seasons to fulfill a promise that we made at the very beginning, (laughs) 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 which was to have listeners. To have them on the show. Yeah. 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 And, um, yeah, we will probably, we probably got a couple of things in the pipeline, too, for future guests and maybe even future, you know, projects to do as far as uh, you know creating dialogue with maybe some other podcasts sure we'll yeah. see uh, but in the meantime we should uh, yeah you gotta get uh, you gotta go be social
1: at a at a work thing. I do
0: yeah I gotta go socialize uh, the good thing is is I get to do it with a drink in my hand so um until tibby johnson looms their alphabet we were going to uh gonna leap out of here You gonna leap out of here
1: yeah i got i got did you you get that one dennis i did yes i did i got (laughs) i got a date with my wife and the house on haunted hill or the the haunting of hill house that's it and uh, we went to new glarus wisconsin last weekend and so we have two new glarus beers left so we're gonna enjoy we're gonna enjoy those and
0: I love it. Yeah. Nothing better on a fall night. Nothing better on a fall night as far as I'm concerned than good beer and a good scare. So yeah. enjoy yourselves. Enjoy enjoy yourself um, get
1: get home safe and tell Jessica and Hattie that uh, that we said hello. We'll have to visit. We haven't actually seen each other in person. Since... I know.
0: We definitely definitely need to do that. Yeah, uh, sooner rather than later. Um, before we go, I'm going to let everyone in on a little secret because no one has said anything about it. So I feel like I can divulge some secret information. Last week's episode required some major editing because oh, for God. the first hour, <laughs> my microphone was off. So I had to go back in and literally re-record everything to the best of my recollection. And to the repartee that was still there between you and Leva, and insert it back in. Uh,
1: the it, fact that no one said anything makes me feel really good. So thanks, guys. Yeah, no, I, was, I I, didn't want to say anything because I didn't want people to be listening for it. Yeah, but now if you're but going now, back, and, if you're go back and catching up on the back catalog, uh, yeah, you, yeah, it was, kuda. Kudos to you, hey, sir. That's, that's all I needed. It was just a little, little, little
0: applause. Little no, no, the back. no. <laughs> yes,
1: no, yeah. I, uh, if I didn't express it uh, offline, yeah, I greatly no, appreciate no, it. No, I, I just uh, didn't want to call uh, it no, out because I, I didn't want people to be listening for it. That was that was well, some, hey man. That was some brilliant uh, ADR. I think they call it uh, in the industry. Yeah, have to oh go god. And,
0: speaking of which, the ADR at the beginning of this episode was terrible. When they're coming uh, out of the. Uh, Oh yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah, it it happens. But a lot hey, the show. don't let that don't let that uh, dissuade you from watching this episode because Nuclear Family is definitely one of the best episodes of the third season. It uh, is. The backside of the third season is pretty weak. Let's be honest here, but this one is not. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm just now noticing that Dennis is wearing a Fiddler on the Roof t-shirt. I didn't notice that before. This is
1: this is uh, this was my last college show. Aww. I've had this t-shirt for over 16 years. I remember those days back when, you know,
0: people made like T-shirts for the shows that you were in. You wore oh, them God. like a jersey almost, like a badge of honor. Oh, yeah. And you get out absolutely. into the real world and somebody pays you a check for it. And you think, where's my T-shirt? And they're like, T-shirt. We're t-shirt. About. <laughs>
1: t-shirt. You got a you got a twelve fifty stipend. Yeah, right. Be happy with
0: that. Uh, that's $12.50, mind you. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, yeah, that is. Yeah. <laughs> All right, it's the witching hour. It's late. you got stuff to watch, beers to drink. i got to go schmooze with some people, hang out. Thank you all so much for listening. We're going to leap out of here. We will be back next week with Shock Theater. I
1: think that's it. That's it. All right, thanks for listening, for sticking around, everyone. All right, bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments, don't be shy. Reach out to us online at www.quantumleappod.com or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fates Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time.